Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast in collaboration with the Conservative Yeshiva in Jerusalem. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about the Conservative Yeshiva, please visit conservativeyeshiva.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Hello and welcome again to Daily Daf Differently. Jeremy Kalmanowski with you, learning the next page in Tractate Yivamot, page Tzadik Bed or 92. I mentioned on yesterday's page that the uh, Mishnah itself and the earliest layers of interpretation of the Mishnah tend to take a lenient view and imagine certain circumstances under which the woman can return, this unfortunate woman who mistakenly remarried on the false belief that her husband was dead, uh, under certain circumstances, if the two witnesses come to testify his death, she might return to him and not suffer any sort of penalty or disability for this tragic mistake. But I also pointed out yesterday that that becomes not the, the rule, that the, what, this, what the halakha will ultimately affirm, and what our Gemara pointed to yesterday, was the idea that we couldn't simply say, well, this poor woman did nothing wrong, uh, and, and therefore she should be able to return to her first husband, in fact, the sages do not take that position. They say that in any such case, she must be divorced, both from husband number one and number two. Why do they take that position? It may be both some combination of their great anxiety about the uh, structure of marital relations. They want to make absolutely, absolutely sure there's no adultery. And also they may feel that the woman uh, bears some responsibility for her state. She should have done a better job of interrogating the witnesses or waiting a little longer to see uh, if he was really dead. In today's page, however, we're going to put a little bit more conceptual subtlety on this point with a new idea that I, is, I think, very interesting in rabbinic halakha generally. The idea that when people act not under their own discretion but are following the dictates of a court, if the court has made a mistake on a matter of law, then the people who acted according to the court's ruling, in fact, themselves are blameless. They've done nothing wrong. And they are exempt from bringing, for example, an animal sacrifice back in temple times. Instead, the teachers who made the mistake uh, are to bring the sacrifice. All of that is, uh, is, is adumbrated, not super clearly in the Torah, in, uh, in the book of Bamidbar, but in Tractate Horayot in the Talmud, which is all about what happens when the court makes an erroneous ruling. See, we, we don't have any idea that rabbis are always perfect or that judges are always perfect, it's human intellect, and people do sometimes make a, make a mistake. If the court makes a mistake, it's of severe enough nature, it's the court's responsibility and not the individuals who followed their rulings. The connection with today's matter is, should be fairly obvious. Uh, if the court has made a mistake, then why should the woman be punished? So on the uh, olive side of our page, near the top, and I'll lead you through this material, uh, for those of you who are holding a Gemara, we debate whether or not what the sages did, what any given court, uh, upon receiving this testimony that husband number one, let's call him Ruvain, that Ruvain died, uh, what, what did the court do? Did they make an assessment of fact when uh, they permitted Ruvain's wife, we'll call her Sarah, to remarry, or did they make a ruling of law? What's at stake? If they made a ruling of law, then Sarah was really legitimate in her remarriage to husband number two, we'll call him Shimon. Uh, and, and she 
shouldn't suffer any disability. It's really the court's fault. If they made uh, an assessment of fact, however, uh, and the facts turned out to be wrong, their, their determination that Sarah could remarry Shimon or marry Shimon anew does not have that power that I alluded to before of absolving her and, and Shimon from any responsibility for their marriage. We'll call those two states of affairs, the, Tom, the Talmud calls those two states of affairs, Hora'a, a ruling of law, or Ta'ut, simply a mistake in the assessment of the facts. How does this come up? The Mishnah, back at the beginning of the chapter, had said that if a woman married that second husband on the basis of a testimony of one witness that Ruvain had died and with the authority of the Beit Din, uh, and that proved to be incorrect, she was exempt from having to bring an animal sacrifice for adultery because it really wasn't her fault, it was the court's fault. That's the, the Mishnah appears to take the position that the rabbis gave a hora'a, legal ruling. But now on our page, near the top, we will find a sage who challenges that view. I'm about uh, let's see, four lines down, uh, from the top of the page. Amar Ze'iri, Ze'iri said, his name means little one, so Mr. Small said, Leita lematnita. The, the Mishnah is of no consequence, it is not correct, Midetani Be'midrasha, based on what was taught in the Ben Hamidrash, and he quotes another bright, the Detani Be'midrasha, for it was taught in the study house, Horu Be'itim Sheshak'a Chama, Ulevasov Zarcha, Einzo Hora'a Ela Ta'ut. If some Friday afternoon the court says, the sun has now set, and it's time to, to begin Shabbat, but then the sun emerges and is very obviously not yet Shabbat, that the court does not, with that pronouncement, actually make it Shabbat. The reality is it's not Shabbat. They were just making a mistake. Their determination that Shabbat had begun was simply wrong and had no legal effect. Zeri's position is, is obvious that is in the case here, too. Why should the woman uh, uh, who is the inadvertent adulteress be exempt from bringing an animal sacrifice? The sages didn't didn't change the reality. They, in fact, were mistaken about the reality. The reality is she was married, she committed uh, this unwitting adultery, and for that error, there should be a sacrifice. The Ziri's position is challenged by uh, an important authority called Rav Nachman. Rav Nachman says, Hora'ahi. In fact, it was a legal ruling. Amar Rav Nachman, You should know that it has the force of legal ruling, because implicit in what the rabbis said is, uh, we never accept testimony from one single witness in any other kind of court case. But in this case, when when she was uh, permitted to marry on the strength of a single witness, why did they accept the one witness? That, in, that, that very fact that they accepted this unusual sort of witnessing indicates that they were making a determination of law that she was permitted. That is why she should be exempt from bringing a sacrifice. And although right now the topic we're discussing is whether or not she should bring a sacrifice and not whether or not she should be able to return to the first husband, we can see how these two positions align with the various views that, uh, that, were, that were under consideration. If Rav Nachman is right, it's really the court's fault. It's not her fault. And she really should be able to go back to the first husband. If Zairi is right, that the court simply made a, a mistake about the facts. They didn't have all the info. And their ruling does not change the reality. The reality is that she was still married to a living Reuven. The subsequent reality is she began a sexual relationship with Shimon, and she has to end though each of those relationships. She has to leave both men.
Our passage goes on and will bring three more sages, all of whom take the position of Ziri. Amar Rava, Teut Tedad de Tautu. Rava says you should know that this is a mere error in fact and not a determination of law, and he gives another reason why that would be the case. And Rabbi Eliezer Savar de Tautu, and Rabbi Eliezer himself would also agree that this is a mere error in, in fact and not a legal determination. I'm sorry, there's only two other sages, not three. And I think we see emerging from this the conceptual matrix under which the, the let's call it the stricter halakha, the more machmir halakha, as it will ultimately uh, be accepted by the, by the halakhic tradition, is that the court cannot be uh, held to have changed reality when it makes it a mistaken determination. It can only tell the facts as best it can. And when it turns out that the facts are wrong, then the law, then the, the particular outcome of a given case would also have to change. All right, thanks for learning today's page with me, and I look forward to learning with you again tomorrow. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the open and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epichorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.